It's unique that we talk to people, but we pray to God. I don't, I don't think that's by chance. We give God and our relationship with God, the discussion, the dialogue that happens. We give that its own word. It's not like any other relationship. It's unique. We call it prayer. Your life's too messy not to pray. We pray for humility, but we don't want to be humbled. We pray to be more loving, but not towards the unlovable. What we're really saying is we want the fruit without the growth and the benefits without the process that will change us forever. When we begin to pray in the mess, God begins to bestow on us a vantage point in our lives that makes us see things completely different because it's from His perspective, not our own. It's in prayer that the heart of God is understood. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15, with part one of our message entitled, Prayer in the Mess. I heard a great story about a young man from a just kind of very nominally Catholic background, and he really wanted a bicycle. And he tried all the normal means to get a bicycle. He got himself a little part-time job. And every time he'd go to the candy store, he had a hard time saving up enough money. So he had heard along the way that you pray and God answers your prayer. And he'd never really done that before. So he figured, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll go check out the people on television so I learn how to pray. So he watched a television program and... His prayer went something like, Thou sovereign Lord, if it be thine good pleasure and in accordance with thine providence, may I please have a bicycle? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forevermore. Amen. And a couple weeks later, no bike. So he's like, well, maybe I should check out another program. So he watched another religious program and came back and he prayed something like, I declare in the name of Jesus, as a child of the Most High God, I want the best bike in red. As a child of the King, I claim it as my inheritance in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sure enough, a couple weeks later, no bike. And at this point, his mother notices him in the family dining room. And he's got a backpack. And he's kind of just looking around. And then all of a sudden, he runs out of the door and the mother thinks to herself, what is he doing? And she goes into the dining room. And of course, there on the furniture there, there, was a, there used to be a statue of Mary. And there was a note there. And when she opened the note, it said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want a bike. (laughs) He decided to pull a Fusco version, I think. Now, it's a great story, but there's 
something that I want to bring out of this story, and that prayer is a confusing thing sometimes, isn't it? How does it work? How do we do it? Why is it there? When you put it in under the umbrella of our series that we're doing here in the book of Ephesians called Life is Messy. See, the reality is, is life is messy. Some of us want bicycles. Nothing wrong with a bicycle. It's morally neutral. Some of us just want to pay our bills. Some of us would love a companion to walk through life with. Last week, we saw the God of the mess. We saw that our, even our understanding of God is messy this side of eternity because God is infinite and we are finite. As a family of faith here at Crossroads, we realize that we're all learning and growing about who God is. We have his word, we have his spirit, but we're all gro- getting grown up. And we give each other the room to, to be in process. But from there in the book of Ephesians, now the apostle Paul moves to the idea of prayer. He prays for the church in Ephesus, which I'm calling prayer for the mess. Because in the midst of a messy life, God wants us to seek and understand him. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. As we continue this series called Life is Messy, we're going to be taking the second half of this chapter, picking up in verse 15. I'm going to read the Apostle Paul's prayer as he is speaking to the church in Ephesus, picking up in verse 15. It says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everything we're going to talk about today as we walk through this passage of scripture is all going to be about the reality that although life is messy, there is a God who can be fellowshipped with. It's unique that we talk to people, but we pray to God. I don't, I don't think that's by chance. We give God and our relationship with God, the discussion, the dialogue that happens, we give that its own word. It's not like any other relationship. It's unique. We call it prayer. And I'm here to tell you that your life is too messy not to pray. Your life is too messy not to pray. Because in prayer is when the heart of God is understood. The old hymn says something like, behind 
a frowning providence, there is a smiling face. What that's saying is that when everything's going wrong, God is still at work and good. But what happens when all of our circumstances go wrong, if you just connect the dots on the circumstances, you say, well, everything must be bad. God must be evil, wrong. But the thing is, is nobody ever spends the time to say, God, what are you up to right now? What are you doing? How does this work? And what you find if you are a person who finds that place to pray in the mess, you find that oftentimes God uses the most horrendous circumstances and brings beauty out of them. It's like the person who says, pray that I be humbled. I always say, you don't want to pray that prayer. Because when you ask God to humble you, then God brings out situations that are humbling. And nobody enjoys those situations. What I've learned is that the things that I really want deep in my heart, God actually gives me just never in the ways that I want them. We want humility without struggle. We want faith without actually ever having to exercise it. We want love, but only for lovable people. We say, Lord, make me more loving. And then God surrounds us with people who are hard to love. See, we want the fruit without the growth. We want the benefits without the process that changes us forever. And so when we learn how to pray in the mess, God begins to bestow upon us a vantage point of our lives that are completely different than what we would get just by connecting the dots, so to speak, of our circumstances. And so the Apostle Paul, in talking to the church in Ephesus, he begins in verse 15, therefore, look what he says, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul saying, I've heard about you guys, so I do not cease to pray for you. And here, here's the lesson out of this. Pray when things are good. Pray when things are good. Prayer is a discipline. It's a muscle that we get used to using. For most people, they begin praying when the situation is dire. It's like you're going to run a marathon and you never train. You just, okay, it's marathon day. Let's go run. 26 miles or whatever it is. You can tell them I'm not a runner. It's not my thing. But you train long before you run the race. We need to pray when things are good. We need to build into that relationship when everything is well. You notice the church in Ephesus, it's not like, I've been praying for you because you guys are totally mangled. Your church is a mess. You guys are a mess. He doesn't say that. He says, when I heard, this is beautiful, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the church, your love for all the saints. The church in Ephesus loved God and loved people. They fulfilled the greatest commandment. Remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This church is doing that. They got it going on. The main thing is the main thing. They love God. They believe in Jesus. They love each other, the saints. And he says, look, you guys are believing in Jesus. You're loving on each other. And therefore, I don't cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. Now, listen, I realize that some of you right now, you're starting to pray for the first time because everything is a mess. 
And in that case, listen, I'm not saying that you should not pray when things are bad. I realize that when people hit rock bottom, oftentimes they come to Jesus. Why? Because they realize that they can't handle what's going on. They need something greater. People say, it's a crutch. I remember when I first got saved, people were like, well, I mean, come on, Daniel, you know that's a crutch. I'm like, yeah, but you need a crutch when you've got a broken leg. It's not wrong to lean on a crutch when you have a broken life. And the beauty is, is I didn't just get saved and lean on a crutch because I had a broken leg at the moment. I realized I have a broken life. And Jesus is my wheelchair. I can't make it without him. I don't want to pretend. There's nothing worse, though, when you have two broken legs and you're trying to walk around on your own. That just hurts you and everybody else around you. So I know some people say, oh, yeah, life's going bad, so you're reaching out for the crutch. That's religion. I'm here to tell you that when you have a broken life, only a crutch will do. Only a crutch will do. When your life, when you realize that left up to our own devices, we make a good royal mess of our lives, we say, I don't want, I don't want to drive this car. I want the Lord to. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you're here today or you're watching online or you're in the chapel and you're just like, look, I'm learning how to pray because everything's a mess, don't think ill of that. I'm not trying to talk down on that. But we learn how to pray when things are good. A relationship is forged in the good times that will sustain us in the tough times. This church is doing well. They're praiseworthy. Paul's thanking God. And I want to encourage you that in the mess, it's always good to develop that prayer life before it's that moment of dire need. So if you're in a time when it's not total calamity, you have some breathing room, so to speak, I want to encourage you to pray in the midst of that. Everything is going, Lord, my marriage is doing great. Thank you, Lord. I want to go deeper. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. My finances are not a total calamity, Lord. Thank you. Help me to be a good steward of the things that you've given me. Lord, I like my job. Will you let me be a blessing where I am? Or Lord, as I step on into this season of my life where I don't have to work every day, Lord, will you let me be a good steward of all this time and all this energy that I may be useful for your kingdom and your glory? We want to learn how to pray when things are good. Because then when things get bad, we are already dialed in. And we have a lot of questions, but that relationship is solid, is solid. So pray when things are good. Now, I also want you to notice in verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. You notice that prayer and praise are together for Paul. He doesn't have, I praise when the music is on, and then I pray in my prayer closet. He gives thanks and he prays together. And I want to encourage you, keep your prayer and your praise together. When you're in your, the quietness of your prayer closet, it's a great time just to say, God, you rock. You're the most awesome God in the world, the only God. Oftentimes, we get so busy on our shopping list, which isn't bad, but we forget just to say, you're awesome. It's like, for those of you who are married, I'm constantly learning. I need to remind my wife that I believe that she's all that in a bag of chips, Sometimes just by my actions, I assume that she realizes that. But all you wives are like, no, no, don't assume that, right? So I need to say, before I say, wow, this is a great meal, I want to say, sweetheart, you are so awesome. Thank you for cooking for me. Thank you for being my companion, the love of my life, the person that I walk through life with. See, put your praise and your prayer together. Because a lot of us know what it's like. You come home and your spouse is like, I need the laundry done. He didn't clean the bathroom. You spend all the money in the ATM without ever saying thank you for 
that we share a bank account. What a novel concept. So put your prayer and your praise together. Put it together. The Apostle Paul does. Then in verse 17, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Next, we want to pray for revelation. Pray for revelation. Pray for understanding and revelation. Paul is really praying that the church in Ephesus may be fully endowed with the Holy Spirit. He wants them to have all the benefits that have already been entrusted to them in the Spirit to be at work in their lives. And we have these three clauses that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I love this. Paul's prayer is that they may understand, that they may know, that they may have wisdom. And it's interesting, we live in a culture and a society that is long on information but short on wisdom. And if you don't believe that, just look at any article on the internet with a comment section. You learn more about our culture by reading the comment section, and it can be an article on anything, politics, economics, sports. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of information. Like, Does anybody have any good answers for the issues that are illing and and messing up our world. We live in a culture exceedingly educated, but short on true wisdom. A wisdom that pervades just a cultural moment. Paul's saying, look, pray, pray for revelation. He wants the church in Ephesus to truly have a spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him. The idea of the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Literally, in the Greek, it's the eyes of your heart. Think about your heart. The the heart in our culture, as in Greek culture, in in the Hebrew culture, it was the bowels. Now, when we think of bowels, we think of something completely different. But in their culture, the bowels was the equivalent to the heart. It's the control center of the human life. It's the place where all of the information from your body from your emotions, from your thoughts, and from God come together and decisions are made. So he's saying that the eyes of your heart may be given light. Oftentimes, we run to a lot of people for wisdom rather than one to the one person to whom wisdom is the default and resides. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have counselors. We know the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But the great counselor is God himself, the almighty one. And we need to pray for revelation. That idea of revelation, it's the Greek word apocalypsis. And you guys have heard me say this before. When you think of the word apocalypse, you think of the end of the world. But apocalypsis literally means the revealing, the unveiling. It means to open up a present and see what's inside. So the book of Revelation is not primarily about the mark of the beast and attack helicopters and plagues and stuff. It's the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a book about Jesus. It's about his lordship and his reign and the rebellion of the world. So all these things are in there, but it's not the main point. So he's like, look, you want to have revelation, the unpacking, the unveiling, the looking inside the presence of who God is, that God will reveal himself to and in us. The most essential relationship we get to have in this world is a relationship with God. 
And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you want wisdom. You want understanding. You want revelation. And you know what? We do, don't we? Nobody ever got to the end of their days and said, I spent too much time learning about who God was. Have you ever met somebody at the end of the day who's like, yeah, I wish I didn't spend so much time fellowshipping with the Almighty God. They asked Billy Graham a couple of years back if there's anything he regrets. And he said, yeah, I regret that I didn't pray as much as I could have. When was the last time you ordered your life based on all the things you wanted people to remember and know about you and talk about on your deathbed and then work its way back? Most often we just react to life rather than saying, this is who I want to be remembered as. This is my legacy. Because you know what's amazing? On my deathbed, I'm not going to be excited that I have seen reruns of every single episode of Criminal Minds. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm putting my stuff out there for you. I, I mean, that's eye on television. It's on reruns. And it's a cool show. But sometimes I sit there and watch, I think, you know what? When I get to the end of my days, I'm not going to be like, yeah, Lord, I knew every single episode. I was like a, almost an agent in the behavioral analysis unit for my understanding of that TV show. Like, I just see I can profile you. Yeah, you know? It's, it's entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment. But at, at your deathbed, I'm like, yeah, man, he was an expert on Criminal Minds, some TV show that they discontinued about 30 years ago, Lord willing. But if you think at the end of my days, I want to be remembered as a person who knew God, who was light in the world, who actually made, was an ordinary person who made a substantial dent in making this world a better place in Jesus' name. If that's how you want to be remembered, then you need to dial it back and say, this is how I'm going to live today. Because you never get there without having a vision to be there. I think about these athletes, and it's just amazing to me, the things they put their bodies through. You know, it's like they don't do the things that the average person does because they can't, because they're training for something. We all make trades in life, and that's why I believe this prayer for revelation is so important. We need to say, Lord, this, I need to know what you see my life as, how you want to use my life, not how I'm just letting it flow. We are not just going along with the current of life. We are choosing to go along with the current of life. And you can branch off at any time. So we need that revelation for the Lord to say, this is who I want you to be. This is how I want you to be. This is how I want you to impact the world. This is what I want you to lay down and what I want you to enjoy, just not so much or not with so much energy or so many resources. We need to pray for that revelation that we may know him and be conformed into his image. Now, look what happens in the middle of verse 18. There's this prayer for wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, having light to it. And then he says, notice, that you may know, the middle of verse 18, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Jesus is real. Today we learned that we shouldn't neglect to pray when things are good. Most people only pray when the situations are dire. That's important too because that's when we rely on Christ the most. Developing a consistent prayer life is a discipline. 
It's a muscle we get used to using, and if not exercised regularly, loses its power. Pastor Daniel compared it to running a marathon without being diligent to train. When it becomes crunch time, the results will be disappointing. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will dig deeper into the mystery of God. We'll come away with a better understanding of how a biblical understanding of the living God changes and shapes who we are and how we live our lives. As your focus begins to shift, you'll want to pray for some spiritual enlightenment on a few things. What areas do you need revelation in and how can you have a more biblical view of the church? Until then, may God bless. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series entitled Life's Messy next time. Until then, may God bless.